You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff. This is Triviality. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. That is the tagline. We say it every single episode. My name is Matt. I'm joined in the studio by some people. Yeah, what's up? Ken. Yeah. How are you? Good. Anybody else? Anybody else here? I'm here, Neil. Uh, Matt, great job on that that one take read. That was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're going to pretend that that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is only episode 291, so I figured eventually I would get it right. As long as we get it right before 300, I think we're we're set. Mm -hmm. Were you excited about episode 300? Yeah, speaking of episode 300, uh, it's coming up pretty quickly, and uh, we wanted to do something special you might have seen in the crop or on Patreon or Discord that uh, we're going to try and do an all-listener-submitted episode. Uh, We want to include as many of you as possible, and we haven't done one where it's all audio questions, so if you'd like to record a question for us uh, and and record yourself reading it uh, with a category, anything like that, or a special message if you want to tell us you you still love us, you hate us, or you don't listen to us anymore, whatever you want to say, um, you can upload it to a Dropbox that we have, and the link is in the crop, uh, Discord, and and all that good stuff. But we'll put it in the show notes for the next few episodes. Um, and yeah, just upload a question, um, have the file tagged as like a category, and we're just going to pick 30 straight questions. And for the 300th episode, we're going to play live, uh, hear them for the first time, and, and see how we do. But also um, thank all of you for making this possible that we got to 300. Yeah, and Neil, you mentioned something about our guests uh, going forward for the next couple episodes, right? Yeah, going forward for the next uh, 10 or so episodes, uh, I'm going to do my best to schedule a mix of uh, newer uh, patrons, newer guests of people that we haven't met before, which we have today, but also uh, celebrating those who paved the way for us to get here today, including our first uh, batch of patrons that uh, joined in our first year of existence. Patrons Classic, I think we called them. Patrons Classic. So the people who, who first joined us. I do want to give a shout out. He, he won't be able to be on the final uh, 10, uh, but uh, David Raffetto, our first patron ever uh, in 2017. Uh, so thank you, David. Uh, we know you can't be on one of these episodes, but we appreciate it. Uh, and Is everyone else coming on. Uh, my mom isn't going to come on, but she's here no. in spirit. So okay. yeah, she's, she's here in the studio floating around, even though she's alive yeah. still, but it's, it's a, uh, whatever that's called. <laughs> astral you, projection. Astral projection. Yeah. She's sleeping she's somewhere. She's been studying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so well, getting all those those new patrons on, it seems like you can get a Disney Fast Pass to get on the show. So if you haven't signed up, patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. Now would be the time to do it, I think. I think you're right. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have the bracelets yet to hand out, but we'll we'll get there. Yeah, so we'll start with our Patreon classic, uh, creator of the Oakland Five. So you've heard this phrase probably multiple times throughout our 291 episodes so far. She is from St. Charles, Missouri. It's Liz Hudson. How you doing, Liz? Hello. I'm not good. Oakland anymore. Not Oakland, sadly, but I am I'm Oaktown in my heart. Well, since you were a classic Patreon, uh, it's been a while probably since you've been on. Why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Liz. I um, recently moved to St. Charles, Missouri about two years ago. Um, I have two kids. I work in a marketing agency that is in Oakland. So I have still still my work is there and I visit there often. So uh, I guess I left my heart in Oakland, as they say. But here I am in Missouri, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here and really appreciated the ask. It was actually funny, Neil, the day that you emailed me. I was wearing my Triviality t-shirt, which 
I hadn't put on in a while. So I was like, oh, I put on Triviality T-shirt and magically I'm asked to be on the show. So hopefully that, that means great. you put on a T-shirt from us and good things happen. So the sensors are working. <laughs> it's true. We, we did put special sensors in the T-shirt. So anytime you put it on, we know and we get an app, an app alert. <laughs> Senses the body heat. Yeah. It sort of seemed like that, honestly. <laughs> where, where can you purchase those T's? Uh, well, you can get them at our T Public store. So uh, if you go to uh, one of the links in our show notes, our link tree, it'll have our information there. You, or you can just go to T Public, uh, search us, or go to our website at trivialitypodcast.com and click T shirts or merchandise. All right. That's enough shilling. We've, we're doing really good on this episode. Uh, Liz, do you have any preference on who you'd like to play with today? I am going to play with Neil. I'm excited to be wanted. Um, thank you. And uh, I think if you're okay with it, Liz, we should name our team Trivia Royalty because you are Triviality Royalty. I mean, I accept the crown. Not sure if I agree, but I accept the crown. <laughs> and in that case, me and uh, Jeff will play against you guys and we'll be Trivia Poverty because that's what it's going to be like, I think. <laughs> we'll see how we do. But uh, there's one more missing piece. Uh, Matt, why don't you introduce today's host? All right, we probably need someone to ask some questions, and that's going to be one of our newest Patreon members. We appreciate it so much. He's a rules guy impersonator from Santa Ana, California. It's Zeb Nesser. How you doing, Zeb? Hey, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself? Uh, let's see. I, uh, I work in construction as an inspector. Um, I tend to work about 100 hours a week or more. That's a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to have the time off to be able to be here today. Glad you could join us. Now, yeah. speaking yeah. of ins inspecting, of what would your grade be of triviality inspecting about 200 episodes so far, 150 episodes? Are we doing okay or are we structurally sound? <laughs> I, I would say you guys are absolutely structurally sound. I'm, I, I, you know, since I started watching, listening to you guys, uh, I want to say maybe four months ago, uh, I haven't had to listen to Ryan Seacrest even one time. I just, uh, <laughs> oh, I have, I have uh, you guys running in my review. car at all times. <laughs> it's going to be our guest on episode 295, so you can skip that one. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we can't wait to play the game that you have written for us today. But before we do that, obviously, we have to get the rules. Uh, any preference on a rules read? Oh, I'm down with the Dutch Dutch rules read. I love oh, that. People love the down Dutch. Down with rules the Dutch. Read. Take it away, Mr. Dutch boy. The regels van het spel zijn simpel. 20 vragen verdeeld over twee rondes, waarbij elke vraag 10 punten waard is. Halverwege is er een speciale swingronde ontworpen door de host van deze week. Na deze rondes beginnen de spelers aan de finale met de punten die ze hebben verdiend. En hebben ze de mogelijkheid om 0 tot 30 punten in te zetten op 5 gecategoriseerde vragen. Aan het eind van het spel wordt iemand benoemd tot The Cream of the Crop. The Cream of the Crop. Nobody does it better. Thanks again to Willem, as always. We appreciate it. And uh, with that, I think all the uh, clerical work is out of the way. Let's get to the game. All right, so I wrote you guys sort of a, a travel-themed uh, game. So... I uh, hope you have fun. I've I've heard from some that it's a little tough. Um, so hope we'll, we'll, let's just work through it. All right. So we're going around the world. I called the test the the quiz around the world in twenty questions. And here's question one. Uh, category is uh, starting in Birmingham, Alabama. Everyone knows the Olympics are a sporting competition held every four years held typically one year after each Olympics and also worldwide, this event held in Birmingham, Alabama this year is host to a collection of sporting events that aren't quite mainstream enough to be included in the Olympics. Sports such as orienteering, lacrosse, corfball, jujitsu, flying disc, billiards, and more. What is this sporting event called? Let's just yeah. say somebody had a funny, t funny time and funny idea and said weird Olympics. Okay, we'll lock that in. Uh, let's see. So it's after the Olympics. Um, I'm trying to think of something like really generic name. Um, I don't know. How about, uh, world games? Okay. Okay. The wide world of sports. Yeah. All right. We got the weird Olympics and the what? World games. World, world games. Well, look at Neil just, uh, backing into that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my only one. Let's let's come up with the most generic name we can think of. World Games. Hey, there it is. <laughs> it's World Games. 
I the the naming Neil... team wanted to get home by five that day. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Neil secretly has the mindset of every committee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just where, when can we get to dinner? Just decide. Neil's royal privilege coming in already. All right. Let's get the next one. All right. Category two. What, are, what the heck are they playing is the name of the category, and it's an honorary Dutch boy question. I'll give you that hint. Invented in 1902 by Dutch school teacher Nico Bruckhuizen, this sport with similarities to basketball and lacrosse is played by two teams of eight with four men and four women per team and has been featured in the World Games since 1985. And if you guys don't know it automatically, I have two hints. I'd be good with the hint. I have no idea. Okay, first hint is anybody know how to say basketball in Dutch? No. Second hint, please. The second hint is I gave the answer as part of the previous question. Oh God, it was one of the ones he listed. Oh, I I do remember one of the ones he listed, so I can I don't know if we can lock it in. Lock that in. Okay, all right, we'll lock in. So what did he say? I don't know. You think I can remember two minutes ago? What about like court polo? That doesn't sound Dutch, but sure, doesn't sound real either. Yeah. I think that was the eighth or ninth thing I listed was court polo. Yes, <laughs> I did. The only sport that I remember hearing in the question, because I thought it was a unique name. I don't know if it's the right one, but we locked in with corf ball. And you were right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't even, I blocked that from my memory. Yeah, I just heard corf ball and I was like, that's funny. And then I kept thinking about it. So I'm glad it stuck. Nice. And And Matt, you played this in high school? Yeah, I had a high school teacher who loved this. Whenever it was like a rainy day, we would go inside and play this in the in the whatever that little field house thing. Oh, was. you know and, what? Uh, we might have done this too. Maybe he we always did. called it. He called it Thunderdome, which it was not because he liked to give the speech from Thunderdome before we played. <laughs> I love I love yeah. the name you, Thunderball. That is the though. most high school gym teacher. Yeah, thing you I've gotta ever heard. you gotta keep yourself you know entertained. Yeah, oh, I've do. seen that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. All right. Maybe we should do a we should do a triviality whirly ball sometime. That'd be fun. We should record whirly while we're ball. doing whirly ball and getting slammed. Yeah. All right. So Dutch, you say? Let's find some secrets of Amsterdam while we're here. Amsterdam is famous for its canals and bicycles, but even just sneaking around on foot in the Jordan district, we can find countless cozy art cafes, quaint museums, and of course the historic Prinsengrat, more commonly known as this place. I mean, I've been to Amsterdam. I've been to Princeton Grok, but I am not really understanding what he's going for here. More commonly known as. Is it like a <sighs> fountain or something or like a park or? No. Okay. The, there's the museum is the the Rijksmuseum, R-I-J-K-S. I think that's the big museum there. Um, so I don't think it's that. Oh, I mean, maybe it could be the red light district. Oh, yeah, maybe that's like, oh, yeah, that's the more common name. Yeah, I like that. Do you want to go with that? Yeah, at least that's a place okay. in Amsterdam. <laughs> hey, what do you know? We said the red light district as well. Well, no points here. Uh, so the Princeton Rock is actually the Anne Frank house. Oh, whoops. It's a big yeah, So, so close. <laughs> So a little blurb, though, though it's a common misconception that Anne Frank was hiding in Poland or Germany, the secret annex was in the Jordan district in Anna, Amsterdam. The Germans invaded Netherlands in 1940. In 1942, Anne and seven others went into hiding for 761 days before being captured in a raid by the Gestapo on the warehouse where the secret annex was. On behalf of there. all of us, I'd like to issue an apology yeah. to all of our listeners yeah. and the Netherlands. All right. Question four. Well, that was depressing. I think I need a long walk. <laughs> Start that Start. one from the top of the question, please. not for Jeff. <laughs> Starting in France and ending in Galicia, Spain, this 500-mile trail has welcomed pilgrims from those seeking spiritual enlightenment to those seeking adventure for over a thousand years. Uh, bonus, two points if you can name a father-son duo that made a movie about this walk and the name of that movie. One point for the duo and one point for the movie. Let's just say it's The Long Road and we'll do 
Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell. Okay. I know all of the facts he's talking about, but I don't know any of the actual answers, which is super unhelpful. But I think the father-son duo is not a famous thing, not famous people. It's just like a guy and his son. And I think maybe one of them was sick or was having some problem and it was like a spiritual healing kind of journey. I think, oh, wait, wait, no, wait, wait. Now I'm remembering that it might be a famous person. Oh God, I'm playing so bad right now. Um, no, I'd, shoot. I'm trying to think because um, at first it made me think of that TV show, um, Jack Whitehall and his dad, but that's a TV show, uh, Travels with My Father, so that's not going to be a movie. I want to say, like, it is like a religious thing, like, I don't know, I feel like this guy might have been Catholic or something. I feel like my dad was telling me about this when he was, like, studying Catholicism a lot. Um, Anyway, I don't know the name of it. I wrote wrote down God's Walk, but I don't know. So you said the person's probably really Catholic, whoever's famous? No, I, I thought it was to do with Catholicism. Like the guy who did it, I thought he was a Catholic, but um, I don't, I'm not sure. Well, um, father-son duo, I mean, the first one that comes to mind that's a Catholic, uh, at least the father's a Catholic that I know of, is uh, Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yes. I think Are that might be. Are you kidding me? Is that them? Might... <laughs> oh, that is ringing a bell. They did a movie that was like, a, it looked like a straight-to-video type movie where they're I mean, they're walking a lot. This is unreal. Yeah, let's say that. Let's say that. I think that might be Martin Sheen, but I don't know what it's called. God's Walk, something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. I I think you guys should go with your gut. (laughs) It's better than nothing if that is. Okay. I I can't remember the name of it, but I I do remember the the, DVD cover of them. Uh, It's like a sign and they're like walking somewhere together. So I I don't know what it's called either, but let's just, yeah, let's say Martin Sheen, Emilio Estevez, because he's a director. So maybe he directed it. And then um, we'll just, yeah, like you said, we'll call it God's Walk. So essentially one point for for Neil. Uh, they, They talked their way into Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez directed a movie. Emilio Estevez uh, was only in it for a short time. Uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers because it's a great movie and you guys should go watch it. But uh, it's called The Way. The Way. And uh, the Martin Sheen ends up walking the way, which is the El Camino de Santiago, which goes from France to Spain. And the English name uh, is um, The Way of St. James, which I, I've only heard it called that a couple times. Well, that's appropriate because my dad's name is James and he has recently departed. So shout out to James for getting us to Catholicism on that question. <laughs> All right. Uh, question five. Uh, after that long walk, I'm thirsty. So let's head to Italy for some vino. We've come to the right country. Turns out Italy is the world's top wine producing country with 44.5 million hectoliters produced in 2021 alone. I wonder how much that is in gallons. For 10 points, tell me within 150 million gallons how much 44.5 million hectoliters is. And one bonus point, if you can tell me within the same range how much wine the U.S. produces each year. All right, we've done some math. And when I say we, I mean Jeff, and we're locked in. Um, do you want to just, yeah, just pick a random number. I think we'll be okay. We're, we're, good. we're doing okay so far. Yeah, we're going to say... Um... I have no idea. I, I don't even know what's reasonable, like 500 million gallons. <laughs> Sounds no reasonable. Idea. Sure. Yeah. In the world. 500 million gallons in Italy and they're the most. So well, I don't know. 400 million in the United States. This sure. Is so dumb. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So Jeff came up with 1 billion, 150 million uh and for italy and then we just said one billion for the u.s all right okay and did uh okay so team uh royalty uh was yeah it it goes to team poverty on this one so the the actual answer is one billion one hundred seventy six so you were really close so it ranged from one billion twenty six million to one billion three hundred twenty six million is the range so uh so uh, Team Poverty gets the points, and then uh, nobody gets the bonus. The bonus uh, was 800 million gallons. 
Well, in much lower numbers, uh, let's take a look at the scoreboard. Uh, Team Poverty getting on the board with 10 points there, but Team Royalty in the lead with a first time ever 21 points after five questions. All right, question six. When in Rome, build as the Romans do. The secret to making this substance used highly throughout ancient history was lost for nearly a thousand years after the fall of the Roman Empire. And even after being rediscovered in the 1400s, didn't come back into wide use until the 1800s. What do you know about Roman substances? Uh, like concrete, maybe? Is that yeah, it? yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense because they, they built up uh, so fast and so big compared to every other society. So what would, yeah, what would have been used? Um, concrete. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Build, when in Rome, build as the Romans do. Yeah, I, I like concrete. Yeah, let's just say it. Why not? Because I feel like if they would have been the first to use it, obviously it worked out for them until everything went to went to crap. But let's do it. Yeah, we also locked in with concrete. And you guys are both correct. Nice yeah, job. So concrete, concrete. Uh, the hint was you'll see a lot of this used in both Maine and Oregon. And uh, that might not be much of a clue to most people, but there's a Portland in both Maine and Oregon. And Portland cement is uh, the basically the uh, element that makes uh, concrete work. Uh, here, I'll dish out our final question from Italy. Uh, this old Milanese wall mural has been damaged and repaired countless times since its completion at the end of the 15th century. Now it sits in a climate-controlled room and can only be viewed by visitors with reservations for 15 minutes at a time. I I, yeah, we're locked in. The Last Supper. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, climate control. Yeah, that sounds right to me, uh, if you want to lock that in. It was the climate control that, that locked it in for you? Yeah, well, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple food hints in that uh, wording. So, yeah, we're going to go with uh, Last Supper. Okay, and you're both right. So both people, both teams get uh, points. Uh, the, last commi- the Last Supper was commissioned as a work that Leonardo da Vinci could do in his spare time. So the surface preparation and methods he used were such that he could stop and restart with large time gaps. This application method didn't turn out to be one that could stand up to the conditions the wall resided in. So over the centuries, it's been repainted, unpainted, retouched, hidden, found, repaired, and finally restored. And when they determined moving it would destroy it, they had a humidified viewing vault built around it. Don't mind if I just do this in my free time, you know, as as just kind of a afterthought as i'm doing all the other things like inventing helicopters yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right uh question eight i'm ready for a spa day let's move east a bit we'll make a stop in this grand capital known to many as the city of spas for having more thermal hot springs than any other capital in the world so Liz and I discussed uh, Helsinki, Finland. We both thought that that could be the answer, knowing they have a lot of spas there. Um, but it didn't seem like it was east uh, in the, the question. So we thought, well, maybe Turkey was a little bit uh, of a better answer. And Liz, you came up with the capital. What did you say? Ankara. We also went east, just a little east. And um, seeing as how he said uh, grand in the in the wording of the clue, uh, we figured Grand and Budapest go pretty well together. So we Budapest. just guessed Budapest. Budapest. It is Budapest. <laughs> That's good. I, I thought that Grand had something to do with it, but I couldn't connect it. So, Neil, Neil, I'm surprised you didn't get the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, lead-in. I know. I, that, that's my bad. I should have. Because they have spas in the movie. They're you know in the why? Spa. It's because he's feeling hungry. Mm. Probably. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, we need All a right. dad joke noise for that one. <laughs> I know. I, we have to figure out what a good dad dad. I don't have enough kids noise. for the amount He's a dog I, dad. That, if, that's fair <laughs> enough. All right. Number nine. Hungary is landlocked, but not double landlocked. The crop is frequently cropped up with questions about the two double landlocked countries, Liechtenstein and Uzbekistan. This question is for those sad, forgotten, single landlocked countries hemming them in. Everybody knows Liechtenstein is wedged in between Switzerland and Austria. For two points each, what are the five countries surrounding Uzbekistan? I think there's stands around Uzbekistan. So I think Kazakhstan, Uh Tajikistan. I also have Armenia might be around there. 
Um, and kind of running out of steam there. Do you have other stands in, in mind? Um, I mean the Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, right? Everyone who loves BTS. Those are pretty passionate stands. Uh, <laughs> I like your answers of Sebastian Stan. Stanley, I Uncle Stan. Mania is is um is Georgia a country on its own anymore these days? It is. It yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe around there. Um, we could do Georgia. I think there's another. I think there's another stand that I'm not thinking of. Kazakhstan, Tajikistan. This doesn't seem right, but we can say those things. <laughs> I have Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Armenia, and Georgia. Couple stands. We agree with you on Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, and then we said Turkmenistan and Kyrg- Kyrgyzstan. All right. Uh, poverty, once again, is getting 10 points, I believe. Um, yeah, okay, so you got six points. Uh, so the hint was uh, there's two Ts, two Ks, one A, and five stands. All right, so question 10. I'm sorry, this one's tough. Flying home as time runs out on the first half. Speaking of flying, in 1980, a movie was made that came to define a genre of movies that I enjoy. Airplane, though not the first, was the flagship of a series of slapstick, deadpan comedies that people typically either love or hate, but must watch at least once. The movie was closely based upon a 1957 disaster movie that the directing team bought the rights to. There's no time left in the first half, so name the movie. Yeah, let's let's just say uh, time's up. Okay. Okay, Liz. So I think I know, but I just want to hear what you have to say because I might be off, and I think you've been helpful with getting me on the right track here. So. No, I I really don't think I'm much help. I for some reason I thought there was a movie called Airport involved in this, but I don't know what that has to do with time or anything. So no, it's that is true. So one of the references um, that it makes is um, there's a serious movie. I believe it's called Airport seventy seven or Airport nineteen seventy five. One of those um, that it it's making fun of. I think it's when the the plane crashes through the glass or whatever. That's in the the other movie too, but in a serious way, not a joke. Um, so the directors, the serious one, uh, the directors are known as Zaz, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. So I know that one for sure for the bonus. Um, and I think the movie is Zero Hour. And that's our final answer. Okay, so the, the correct answer is Zero Hour. Uh, it was a disaster exploitation movie, a disaster movie with uh, black exploitation and bad fish dinner that the uh, team bought the rights to and added their ri- ridiculousness to. And yeah, he's right. Also about uh, Zucker Abrams and Zucker. So uh, full points, which is uh, twelve for Team Royalty, and uh, no points for Poverty on this one. All right. After the first round, we have what I can assure is the first time a team has ever had fifty-nine points. Trivia Royalty taking the lead. Uh, Trivia Poverty uh, had a little streak there. Got five in a row. They have fifty. So as Neil always says, every single episode, it's anyone's game. Let's go to the swing round. All right. So we're back home in the U.S. Uh, and I have to say everything's a bit bigger. For the swing round, I have come up with a list of big things. The goal is simple. I provide a list of 10 big things in the U.S. and the, the names of 10 states. Your mission is to match the 10 things with the 10 states. Okay, so the largest renaissance fair in the U.S. by area and attendance, the largest tree in the world, the longest suspension bridge in the U.S., the largest independent bookstore in the U.S., the world's largest toy museum complex, the largest gem and mineral show in the world, the largest comic book shop in the world. The largest trivia competition in the world. No, it's not this one. The largest children's museum in the world. And the town of Casey that fits on this list. The names of the states are Arizona, Indiana, Texas, New York, Oregon, Missouri, California, Colorado, Illinois, and Wisconsin. 
All right. Those are the questions for the swing round, and we'll be right back after this break. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances— I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All the answers for the swing round are now locked in. So can you uh, tell us those big things one at a time, one more time, and we will tell you what state we think. All right. Uh, largest Renaissance Fair in the U.S. by area in attendance. Uh, we said Illinois because we think there's one called the Bristol Renaissance Fair that I've been to one time. Pretty we, big. We were also thinking of Bristol Renaissance Fair, but I think it's right over the border in Wisconsin. So we said Wisconsin. All right, I went with a little gamesmanship here. The uh, largest Renaissance Fair in the U.S. is, as they say, everything is bigger in Texas. Uh, number two, the uh, largest tree in the world. Uh, we went with California. Yeah, we also went with California. And you're both correct. Uh, for sheer mass, General Sherman is a coastal redwood in California Sequoia National Park, coming in at 52,500 cubic feet. And if you're thinking about height, it's also in California, which is in the Redwood National Forest. Uh, Hyperion is 380 feet tall. All right. The longest suspension bridge in the U.S.? Uh, since California was out, we went with New York. Yes, we also went with New York. And I believe I heard um, Liz name the bridge, and she was correct. you want to name it? Yes, the Verrazano Narrows. I might have another name now. It is still the Verrazano Narrows, and it connects Staten Island with Brooklyn and spans 4,260 feet, which is just under a mile. Wow. The largest independent bookstore in the U.S. Uh, when I heard the question, I thought Oregon immediately, and it wasn't an option, so we went with Oregon. We felt the same way. We thought uh, it's got to be something probably in Portland, so we said Oregon. And you're right. It is in Portland. It's Powell's Bookstore, and it takes up several levels and an entire city block. Uh, I've gotten lost in it twice. <laughs> All right, number five, uh, the world's largest toy museum complex. This is where it started getting hairy, I think. Yes, uh, we agree, and uh, we went with uh, Missouri. Uh, we landed on Arizona. And uh, poverty got it, Missouri. Uh, the largest gem and mineral show in the world. Uh, just a guess, but we felt that had a Colorado sort of feel to it. We did too. We just didn't think about this one, said so Colorado. Uh, and I would, Colorado's a good guess, but it's actually Arizona. Tucson, Arizona has the largest gem and mineral show on earth. That was our second guess, so. Uh, the single largest comic book shop in the world. Well, we're wrong because we said Missouri. And we're wrong because we said Texas. And uh, yeah, if you had um Reserved your Colorado from the gems, uh, you would have gotten it. Uh, Mile High Comics is in Denver, Denver, Colorado, and it's 45,000 square feet, and it houses roughly 10 million comic books. The largest trivia competition in the world. And we said Arizona. Yeah, we said Indiana, as a guess. And it's Wisconsin. Oh. 
Uh, there's a university radio station in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, that's been hosting a yearly trivia program since 1969. At last count, the 54-hour contest uh, had roughly 12,000 participants in roughly 450 teams from around the world. I think I have seen that come by my trivia Facebook feed before. Mm-hmm. It's actually been mentioned on this show a couple of times. Okay, number nine. The largest children's museum in the world. Uh, for this one, we said Indiana. Yep. Uh, we thought there's a big one in Illinois, and we just took a guess. And Indiana is right. So Team Poverty gets the points. Uh, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis is nearly 500,000 square feet. <laughs> All right. And the town of Casey that uh, we fits were, on this list? We said Wisconsin. Uh, for some reason, I was sure there was a Casey, Texas, which maybe there is, but that was not the answer today. There probably is a Casey every state, but uh, this particular one is in Illinois. Uh, it's um, about 300 miles from you guys south. Uh, and it has no less than 12 of the world's largest things, including a mailbox large enough to live in, a seesaw that could rock all the people in the town at once, and a 46,000-pound rocking chair that works. All right. After that swing round, uh, the game has been swung a little bit. Uh, Team Poverty picking up 25 points, bringing their total to 75. And Team Royalty picking up 15 points, trailing just by one measly point with 74. The meek shall inherit the trivia game, as they say. (laughs) All right, Zeb, take away round two. All right. So back on our our adventure, we're going to start with a Disney flop. In 1981, Disney produced Michael Crawford as a comic book artist, super spy, who used amazing gadgets that he invented based on his comics to perform action sequences, including a flight from the Eiffel Tower and a car chase with a gypsy van that turned into a supercar that turned into a boat. The movie flopped and critics picked at its carcass until its bones faded away. Can you pluck its name from those carrion-eating beaks? I've seen a a poster for a movie. I don't know if it's right. It's my gut, though. There's a bad movie called Condor Man. That sounds good. I was thinking it had to be some kind of superhero-sounding thing. Condors, Um, I think, maybe eat carrion. Okay, condors are kind of like vultures, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, if you're good with that, we can lock in with Condor Man. Sounds good to me. We didn't know the man part. We just said the condor. Condor man. Wow. Yeah. Points for the condor man. And that was the theme song. Judges? That's host discretion. Ooh. Ooh. For the no, it's Condor Man. All right. No, it's Condor Man. Sorry. He gave the thumbs down, the Joaquin Phoenix thumbs down. Sorry. All right, so uh, number two, a Russian grammar question. What is the gerund in the following sentence? Nikolai and Alina enjoyed running numbers for their Uncle Markov's underground bookie parlor until they were both gunned down because they knew too many Russian mafia secrets. Okay, well, first of all, I really thought Zeb was going to start speaking in Russian right then, so I'm glad it was in English, not Russian. Um, But I think of... Uh, gerund is a verb ending in ing so i think it's running oh that's much better than me who who doesn't know what a gerund is so i'm happy to go with that all right we had no idea what a gerund was uh so we just picked like one of the many like subjects in the sentence or or maybe not subjects but uh objects i guess and we said underground bookie parlor Okay, and Liz is absolutely correct. A gerund is a verb that's been turned into a noun by adding ing, which is running. And so uh, Team Royalty gets the points on this one. Okay, the next one category is the tropic topic. So it's time to fly south and check out the southern hemisphere a bit. As we fly, we see a line that wraps around the earth that says tropic of dot, dot, dot. We can't see the last word. Knowing that we have gone south of the equator, for 10 points, which tropic must this be? And for two bonus points, if you can tell me exactly how many degrees south of the equator this tropic is. First tropic I think of is Tropic of Cancer. I don't even know if that's in the right area. It's either Cancer or Capricorn, and I think Cancer is the southern one. Okay. And I want to say like 45 degrees. 
checks out. I like that. What's the one that George still has under his bed? I mean, feels Capricorn. Other, Los Angeles is like 34 degrees. Okay. North. I think it's like 45, but that's a guess. That's okay. better, better than my guess, so. We said uh, Cancer, and we went with 30 degrees. All right. Sorry, guys. It is Capricorn. Shoot. <laughs> and uh, it's 23 degrees, so no points on that one. Just make sure to return the Tropic of Capricorn so you don't get the bookman on your case. Okay, category the river horse. A story goes that in 1910, a couple took their canoes out on the Zambezi River above Victoria Falls. Their canoes and bodies were later found mangled in the second of six gorges that flow away from this. It came as little surprise to discover that their canoes had been capsized by what aggressive aquatic animal common to the region? Yeah, I would say hippopotamus. I know they're... They're aggressive. I think there's also water buffalo, which are aggressive. Oh, but, yeah. But I guess if it, if it was mangled, hippos... Yeah, let's take hippopotamus. That was my first. Yeah, so while the jaguar has the strongest bite of a cat, oh my God. the hippo has the strongest bite of any animal. <laughs> so we can go the hippopotamus. Yes, as we learned from, I believe, episode two of Triviality, Prolific Killers. Mm, that's right. Uh, and hippo, I believe, is the Latin or Greek or something for horse. Right, yeah, so we river, said river horse or something hippopotamus. Like All right. Okay, well, you guys are so close, but it's actually the jaguar. The jaguar did. No, I'm just kidding. It's the hippopotamus. <laughs> I was about to retire permanently. <laughs> if I never hear another jaguar fact again, actually, that's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. A Trevor Lawrence jersey. A fun fact hippopotamuses run in groups called dales, and they mark territory by flinging their own fresh dookie with their tails. Um, just like so us that's yeah <laughs> last time i was at the zoo i remember the uh the pachyderm house they tell you to stay away because stand back yeah they will mm -hmm. fling it at you more scat facts triviality all right category it's a small world after all the english name for this enclave the closest to the tropic of capricorn sounds like it could be the next big area to open at disney world the African name sounds like it could be a vodka drink for a cybersecurity team. Either way, this place sounds like a good time for somebody. Give me both names for 10 points. And I want both for full points. No, There's no half points. Should we say, just say Eswatini and Swaziland? Is that what he's going for? Well, I mean, Eswatini, I think, is the... Like, Swaziland is the old name. Hold on. No, no, no. no. I, think, I think that's the that's the answer. Because one sounds like a new place in Disney, and one sounds like a, a vodka drink. So, Iswatini, Martini, and Swaziland, land. So, okay, stop. All right. Wait, Let's is go. it? No, no. Is it? Is, I don't think it's Swaziland though. I think it's. Uh, that's the, that's well, the old name. Is it though? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's absolutely trying to kill us. He really wants this one wrong, so you should just let him do it. And royalty. Yeah, I locked us in on my paper with Eswatini and Swaziland. Yeah. Jeff, you want to keep on talking yourself out of it or? No. <laughs> you, you okay taking the points? Sure. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. You both got 10 points. All right. After those five questions, uh, royalty taking the lead back up to 104. Poverty not too far behind with 95. All right. Number six. A somewhat impractical mode of travel for this time of year. We travel from Southern Africa to the Australian continent by hot air balloon. No worries, we stocked up on plenty of wine and cured meats in Italy. While creeping over the water, we notice the Indian Ocean garbage patch. The garbage patch is an area of floating waste being spun together by, by an ocean gyre, which is a large area where two currents interact and cause a circulating effect on a grand scale. The garbage patch, usually spinning counterclockwise, is spinning clockwise for 10 points. Why? Liz, I apologize because the only thing I'm thinking of, you know, is Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. So I'm way out of my league here. You're thinking about Garbage Pail Kids and I'm thinking about Bart flushing toilets in Australia. So that's um, what I was thinking of, Liz. <laughs> I, right next to Rand McNally. Yeah. Um, going to call, why, call Australia why, and find I out mean, why. Is it two bodies of water intersecting and that makes the stuff turned the well, other he way said it was two currents. he said it was two currents that meet to cause this thing so mm -hmm. why would they be changed directions maybe different different temperatures one's 
or one salt water, one fresh water. I don't know. But why would that suddenly change? It's like something weird is happening to change the direction of it is what he's saying, I think. Like, I don't know, a hurricane is happening. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, he did say this time of year is hurricane season, yeah. right? Yeah, he said, yeah, this time of year. So why something changed? Normally goes one direction. Now it's going some other way. I don't know. We could just say hurricane season. I have no idea. Okay. All right. So uh, we've often heard specifically from the Simpsons that uh, the water spins down the toilet in the opposite uh, direction in the southern hemisphere due to the Coriolis effect. Okay. So I. So the correct answer is that it's winter or monsoon season. Uh, normally the land in Southern Asia is warmer than the water of the Indian Ocean. So the surface winds blow from the ocean to the land. Uh, the winter months bring the South Asian monsoon season, which causes a cooling of the land. The wind reverses direction and the gyre follows suit. Okay. Uh, so the closest team was royalty with the, uh, with the hurricane, which is not technically right, but they did at least connected to a weather we didn't get condor man <laughs> yeah we don't you don't have to give us you points didn't, you didn't get you didn't get condor Once again, all, all right. the points go to the all top one percent right. of teams <laughs> uh, that's right <laughs> all right I'll, 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 podcast as usual you're right i didn't give you condor so hurricane is not a monsoon yeah we, we can take some uh some uh moral victory points there neil we were on the right track okay question seven your Majesty, there is no second. The oldest contested international trophy, the 100 Guinea Cup, was defended and won by a single team for the first 132 years of its existence, a record unmatched in any other sport. The rules for winning it have changed frequently, but its name has only changed once. What is the name of this trophy today? For a bonus point, who currently holds the cup? I have no idea what any of that was, but Jeff seems to have an idea, so we're going to lock in with his guess. Might be a foolish one. Eh, that's okay. Guess is a guess. So I don't know this off the name right off the bat, do you? No. Okay. I. My thought could be, I was thinking about sailing. It could be America's Cup. Oh, I like that. That's been around a long time, because it makes me think, if it is sailing, that is sort of a, a sport that, I don't know, you have to have the right... This is going to sound dumb, but you have to have the right materials and stuff. And if, if one country won it for 100 years, um, I feel like sailing would make a lot of sense. So I feel like New Zealand, Australia, I'm trying to think. I think I watched it. Um, I know. I don't think it's the U.S. So. Let's go Australia just for our friends from Australia. Okay. Sounds good. We also went with a series that takes place uh, with Australia and, and some other competitors. Um, and we guessed the Ashes, which I know is a super old test cricket rivalry between England and Australia. And I think Australia is the current holder. All right. So uh, it was the America's Cup. It is sailing. Um, and it is recently held with, you should have gone with your friends, Neil, from New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand, yeah. sorry, everyone from New Zealand. Sorry, and, Ryan Boyd. Uh, I, I, little blurb I have about it is, though America's Cup was held by American teams for 132 years, the name change of the trophy was not in honor of uh, the country who won it, but in honor of the name of the first schooner to win it, which was the America out of New York. All right. Uh, number eight. Stew over this one. Though New Zealand is composed of over 700 islands, the country is primarily two large land masses that make up the sixth largest island country in the world. These land masses, very creatively named the North Island and the South Island, are separated by just 14 miles of ocean waters. With the Tasman Sea on one side and the Pacific Ocean on the other, what is the body of water directly between the North and South Islands of New Zealand? 10 points for either the English or the Kiwi name. One bonus point for both. All right. We think we picked up a small clue in that. Uh, we don't know if this is right at all, but we're going to lock in. Does the stew give you any Yeah, I mean, clues? that must be... No, but that must be what he's talking about. I don't know if it's food-related stew or, like, Stuart, somebody named Stuart. Um, like, Stuart. I, do you think it's a straight of blank, maybe? Or 
Yeah, Stu. I mean, it could be Stuart, right? Somebody named Stuart. Patrick Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley. Yeah. Straight of Smalley. The Straight of Smalley. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's go. great. It's, we're we're good enough. We're smart enough, and we'll answer the Straight of Smalley. Gosh darn it! <laughs> and we just Gosh said darn it, uh, people like me. We just said Stuart Straight. All right. So the stew is actually related to cooking because it's cooked straight. Oh, ah. okay. Captain Cook. That makes sense. This next question, uh, oh, I was going to rewrite it, but uh, it's a long question. Sorry, but so, several have been long. Uh, it's not a world tour without Antarctica. As I travel by rowboat, once again, a poor choice of vehicle from New Zealand to South America, I gaze south at the vast whiteness of Antarctica. We are nearing home, so I can't help but, th but to think of the three year-round research stations under U.S. jurisdiction. There is one on Ross Island, the largest station on all of Antarctica, but ironically, there are no Mick Crows there. The one on Anvers Island, where the peninsula juts out from Antarctica like a finger, and the one at the geographic South Pole, where nobody performs in L.A. about the Enterprise's chief engineer. Name any two of these stations for 10 points and all three for an additional bonus point. We're locked in. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, Liz. Uh, all I'm going to say is the only outposts or station that I know is from The, the Thing uh, with Kurt Russell. I think it's Outpost 31, but that's not going to help us. So I have no idea. None of this, none of those words, which I'm sure had lots of clues. I don't, it's not getting me anything. I heard I heard Enterprise Engineer, which I think is Scotty from Star Trek. Maybe one is the Scotty Station. I have no idea though, or the Scott Scott Station. I don't. Uh, and then I don't know. They're like Amundsen is the name. Amundsen. No, that's right. Yeah. Because I think it's related with... to the dude from Psych. Uh, yeah, let's do the Amundsen Station. Um, Scott, Scott Station. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember the other one. About yeah, I don't know either. Um, Raleigh. I think that's the dude who climbed Mount Everest. Maybe he went to Antarctica. All right, <laughs> okay. that's three. What do we have, Jeff? I can only come up with two. Um, you were correct with Emerson. It's the Emerson Scott, which is the um, one at the southern um, pole. And McMurdo is where they generally fly a lot of their supplies into. And I couldn't think of the third one. So that's what we went with. All right. So, uh, yeah, the uh, impoverished, our poor impoverished finally got some points. Uh, it was McMurdo Station is the largest one. The clue there was McCrows because murder of crows. Uh, the Anvers Island, the one on Anvers Island uh, is the Palmer Station where it juts out like a finger, the Palmer Station. And then, yeah, the Amundsen Scott where the... Uh, that, that was a tough one to give a clue for because I, the only thing I could think of leading you to Amundsen, there's a performance uh, center in L.A. called the Amundsen. And then the Enterprise's chief engineer is Scott. So so where, no, where nobody performs in L.A. about the Enterprise's chief engineer. That's what I was thinking, actually. I was That's where I came up with it from that clue. So it did help you get there. I was going to say, All it's right. named, I believe, for the Norwegian and the Brit who were the first ones to go there. So All right. Uh, and number 10. Uh, one question for Alza Bacon in South America. In 2011, a river was discovered in Brazil that ran the same route as the Amazon, but was much larger. While the Amazon is 1 to 100 kilometers wide, another river 4 kilometers below it is 200 to 400 kilometers wide on the same route. For your final question and 10 points, what is the name of this river? All right, uh, we have no idea on this one. We thought we heard something in the question, but we can't connect it, so we're just going to have a Lucky Johnson River. Uh, anything else? you on... said South America. Lucky Wanson. <laughs> <laughs> anything else? Uh, the, the only clue I heard is Zabacon, is what he said, for all for all Zabacon or something like that. So, I don't know. Pig River is what I wrote down, or... <laughs> rasher or maybe he's talking about money something bacon related oh okay Is there a french french word for bacon the bacon i don't know <laughs> uh i believe pig in french is uh la couchon so okay pig. let's say that la couchon river <laughs> okay yeah we caught that hint too but we couldn't get there so what do we got 
All right, so I would never have an answer of La Crochant because I can't say it. <laughs> um, uh, so it's the Hamza River, mm. H-A-M-Z-A. Uh, it's named after the sci- the scientist who made the discovery. His name was uh, Valia Manathal Hamza. We had every piece of that. I just couldn't. couldn't... <laughs> yep. So hard to put it together. Yeah. All right. So going into the final, it's still a very close game, a little low scoring. Wagers are going to be really important. Team Poverty at 105, trailing Team Royalty just by nine points with 114. So let's see what happens. Take it away, Zeb. All right. So our categories are um, number one, catching waves. Number two, buried and gone. Number three, hiking. Number four, family game night. And number five, rules guy impersonator. The wagers are now in. It looks like the teams are taking opposite approaches. We're going fives on everything except for games night. We're going to go 30 because this game has been mighty spotty for us. You guys are doing what? A lot more points, huh? Yeah, we're doing uh, 20, 35 for the Oakland Five, 30, 20. So we're, we're betting a little bigger. Yeah, I got a lot of Oakland Fives in there. So let's get the questions. All right. So here we are with Catching Waves. Norrin Rad is a hero introduced in Marvel Comics in 1966. In return for sparing his planet, he became a herald to a cosmic being. He was given his own cosmic powers and a unique way to zip around galaxies in style, looking for meals for his new boss. Name this character and his boss. Buried and gone. Roger Williams died in 1863 and was buried on his property near Benefit Street. In 1860, the Historical Society decided to move his body and place a memorial at the location of his burial. Instead of bones, they found some nails, some teeth, and an apple tree root that had grown in a peculiar Roger Williams shape. This root was assumed to have eaten Roger Williams and is now on display at the John Brown House Museum. Which East Coast state was Roger Williams the founder of? Hiking. The U.S. has some of the most amazing and beautiful hiking trails on the planet. So often we think we need to travel around the world to find the gifts of Mother Nature, but the National Park Service lists more than 21,000 miles of trails designated for hiking right here in the U.S. The longest trails are over 2,000 miles each. Can you name two of them? Family game night. I feel like nothing beats a family bonding event like a good old-fashioned game night. For years, my family has had game nights several times a year where we can forget our troubles and just enjoy being together. This unusual art-based game requires a player to describe a card in their hand in such a way that some, but not all, the other players will be able to identify their card out of a group of artistic picture cards. Rules Guy Impersonator. In listening to the back episodes, I've frequently heard chess questions come up. Specifically, I have heard questions about castling. This isn't that, but hopefully these questions have spurred you to play chess a bit, or at least open a book about chess rules. There is one unique rule in chess in which a pawn can attack diagonally to an empty square and remove the opponent's pawn from the square he just passed. Try the answer in French. We now have the questions, so we'll be right back after this break with our answers. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. 
The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. We're now all locked in with our answers. Can we have the questions one more time and see uh, if poverty or royalty will take uh, take the crown today? Rightio. So, Norrin Rad is a hero introduced in Marvel Comics in 1966. In return for sparing his planet, he became a herald to a cosmic being. He was given his own cosmic powers and a unique way to zip around the galaxies in style, looking for meals for his new boss. Name this character and his boss. Yeah, so for five points, we said uh, Silver Surfer is the character, I'm pretty sure. And I guess the uh, planet-destroying boss would be Galactus, but not positive on that. Yep, for 20 points, uh, we said Silver Surfer and Galactus. And you're both correct. All right, Buried and Gone. Roger Williams died in 1863 and was buried on his property. In 1860, the Historical Society decided to move his body and place a memorial at the location of his burial. Instead of bones, they found some nails, some teeth, and an apple tree root that had grown in a peculiar Roger Williams shape. This root that was assumed to have eaten Roger Williams is now on display at the John Brown House Museum. Which East Coast state was Roger Williams the founder of? Yes, uh, we said uh, for five points, Rhode Island. Yep, uh, we clued into Brown, and we're hoping that it was uh, Brown University. We said Rhode Island for 30 points. And you guys clued into the right Brown. It's Rhode Island. Ooh, falling behind here. Okay, hiking. Uh, uh, the U.S. has some of the most amazing and beautiful hiking trails on the planet. Uh, which three can you name two of them? Uh, yeah, my connection to this question would be through my friend uh, Jory, who often does these like enormously long trails. And I follow her on Facebook, and I see her uh, progress. So shout out Jory if she listens and has reception wherever she's hiking currently. <laughs> um, we said the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest. Hmm. Yeah, those answers sound really good. Um, I thought I thought that there is one called Pacific Something, but we just said Pacific Trail, and then we came up with Discovery Trail for the second one. Okay, so Discovery Trail is not one on my list. I have the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian. Uh, the other is the Continental Divide Trail that is 3,100 miles. Uh, okay, so family game night. Uh, I feel like nothing beats a fight, a family bonding event like a good old-fashioned family game night. For years, my family has had game nights several times a year where we can forget our troubles and just enjoy being together. This unusual art-based game requires a player to describe a card in their hand in such a way that some, but not all, the other players will be able to identify their card out of a group of artistic picture cards. Yeah, we don't know this game. We wagered 30 on it, unfortunately, but we said uh, Telestrations kind of sounds like a game name. And Liz, you came up with the name? Yeah, we also wagered 30, and uh, we said Renaissance Cards. Okay, so the this this is a game called Dixit, and you have a group of of a bunch of oil painted cards, and you try to describe your card in a way that somebody's going to get it, but not everybody's going to get it. All right, and rules guy impersonator. Uh, in listening to Becca's episodes, I've frequently heard chess questions come up. Specifically, I have heard questions about castling. This isn't that, but hopefully, these questions have spurred you to play chess a bit or at least open a book about chess rules. There's one unique rule in chess in which a pawn can attack diagonally to an empty square and remove the opponent's pawn from the square he just passed. Try the answer in French. Yeah, I picked up a spur. The word spur jumped out at me, so we were trying to think about horse terms in French, but alas, we don't know any French at all, so we just said flank. Liz is a huge chess player, and we wanted to wager 20 points on this one, knowing it was going to be chess. And uh, Liz, what did you say your, your patented chess move is? Yes, this is just a really special thing that I do. It's called Le Baguette. Le Baguette. Wow. How'd you know it, Liz? Le Baguette. No, it is <laughs> It is not. It is a, So the last word in the, in the description was passed, and I said try the answer in French, which is en passant which is just in passing in French. 
All right. After a pretty tough final there, uh, Team Poverty coming up just a little short today with 85 big points, uh, making today's cream of the crop Team Royalty. Cream of the crop. Congrats. One day the first shall be last and the last shall be first, yeah. but today is not that day. I was going to say <laughs> triviality, triviality mirrors real life and the rich got richer. Yeah, we squashed the revolution today. Even you know? even we can't escape the, that reality. We did. We do have guillotines. For, for one day I will eat Neil. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you eat, eat me at one day. Um, but yeah, unfortunately. The eater of Neil. The eater of Neil, yeah. Um, well, uh, Liz, it was so much fun playing with you. Um, you really carried uh, us today because these were a little bit outside my wheelhouse, but I, I tried to be a, a decent teammate. Thank you, Neil. I have to say that uh, geography and math, it's like a nightmare situation, but I feel like we, we did okay. We did. <laughs> we I'm survived. Glad a bunch of, I'm glad there was a bunch of movie stuff in there for you to help us out. Yeah, no, I, I felt uh, pretty good about it, and uh, I'm just glad that uh, we were able to... Uh, become victorious and uh zeb great questions uh liz we'll start with you thank you for being a uh, triviality royalty for uh instilling the oakland five on the show and just always being a, a wonderful uh supporter and friend of the show uh any last shout outs or anything you'd like to say before we uh let you walk down the red carpet <laughs> yeah thank you guys for having me it was really nice uh for you to reach out i really appreciate it i enjoy you guys as friends and trivia hosts um like this shout out to my trivia team, the Hot Cops, my boyfriend Omar and my friends Kevin, Matt, Brian, and Zach, who keep me keep me in the know of all kinds of different things, although they will be disappointed in my chess knowledge or lack thereof. Uh, but yeah, always fun to play with them and always fun to play with you guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. And Zeb, a uh, wonderful game you put together today. It was great to the theme that you put together uh, across uh, the world and um, a lot of great clues in there that we missed, some that we got. But uh, yeah, any uh, any shout outs, anything you'd like to say before we let you go back to your hike uh, and enjoy your walk? <laughs> uh, I got to thank uh, Louie, who gave me a great uh, rules read, and um, Jane and uh, Captain Tennille, which I, I don't know his actual name on the Discord server, uh, who gave me uh, playtesting. And a lot of people on the Discord server gave me a lot of help uh, figuring out which questions needed some rewording and and which were too hard and that kind of thing. So I got to thank everybody on the on the crop. Um, oh, but yeah, I had well. a great time. It's a blast. Thank you, Zeb, and thank you, Liz. Uh, just wanted to mention that Triviality Podcast is an airwave media podcast where you can find great shows like the Accidental Creative. Art Smart from Who Arted and Ben Franklin's World over at airwavemedia.com for Ken, Jeff, Matt, Liz, and Zeb. My name is Neil, and that was Triviality. I like how your, rat, your reasoning for that one was, what's a boring place to have a children's museum? And you're like, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets you there. <laughs>